Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I've got all the answers. Hang on, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Goody. I'm one of the pastors here at Black Knoll, along with Dave and our interim head of staff, Mark Hutton. It is truly a pleasure to welcome you and greet you this morning. And we're here because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's his spirit that draws us strangers, maybe friends, sometimes enemies, together for worship. Uh, and it's his spirit that is leading us. This summer, we have been studying uh, the book of Psalms. And this morning, our psalm is Psalm 104. Now, as we prepare to read, I want to warn you that I'm afraid this text might be a little difficult for us. I'm not worried that you're going to be caught up in the psalmist's overwhelming anguish. This is a psalm of praise, not a psalm of lament. Nor am I concerned that you will be unsettled by the psalmist's calls for vengeance, as you might be in, with an imprecatory or cursing psalm. There are those in the Bible. I'll let Dave handle that next week. No, Psalm 104 focuses on God's creation, not enemies. I think this psalm might be difficult for us because, well, it's long. <laughs> and I think we like to be efficient. I'm told that you students out there these days like to watch lecture recordings at 2.5 times the playback speed while you also multitask and check your email. So I apologize that I'm asking you to sit through something slower than, good morning, it's a pleasure to greet you in the name of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Goody Bell. I'm a pastor. I know that others of you just live with this general sense that your life is one big to-do list, and that a good day is a day you get something done. And at work, a growing number of us, from Amazon warehouse workers to healthcare professionals, are rated at the end of each day or each shift for our productivity and constantly pushed to do more and more. If that's more or less right, that it's all about doing more and more, that you and I are just fancy machines that are optimized to maximum productivity, well, then what we're about to do is a waste of time. But that's not what I think we are. So let's listen together to the word of the Lord from Psalm 104. We'll read responsibly together. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths, as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. 
You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth fruit, food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nest. The stork has its home and the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the noon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, he who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we have here is, well, a long list. It's not a list of things for us to do. It's a list of things the Lord does. The Lord creates the heavens and the earth. The Lord provides for plants, animals, and people. The Lord regulates the times and seasons. The Lord gives life. After the heavens, after the waters, after the mountains, after the donkey, then come the people. We tend the plants the Lord has given. We labor according to the rising and setting sun. Psalm 104 presents a panorama of creation. 
It is a litany of praise that just overwhelms you, doesn't it? With the vastness and variety of God's works. And we humans are among them. But we're not in focus in this picture, are we? Just a few pages back in your Bible in Psalm 8, humans are the crown of creation. But here, we get something of a different view of ourselves. Here, we're not necessarily the crown of creation. We're given a picture of ourselves as one of the crowd. The Lord makes plants for us as the Lord provides grass for the cattle. The Lord marks day and night for the beast as he does for man. We stand alongside the wild goat and even the sea monster, the Leviathan. And as Dave already said, innumerable other creatures, more than we have yet discovered, we stand alongside them as those who are fashioned in the wisdom and whimsy of God. We are not accustomed to seeing ourselves this way, are we? From this strange angle, we are here a part of what New Testament scholar Richard Balcom calls the community of creation. We are seeing ourselves from this strange view as a part of the community of creation. The primary distinction in this psalm is not people above plants or animals. The primary distinction here is God and everything, everything else. The primary distinction is between the uncreated, unceasing, always one, and those things which are made by him. The primary distinction is between creatures and their creator. As creatures, we are dependent on God. As the psalm says, God sends his spirit and we are created. He takes his breath away and we return to dust. God calls things into being. There is something instead of nothing only because of God. We cannot will ourselves into existence, nor did we ask to be born. Though we may not always be happy to be alive, to be brought into this world by another apart from our own choosing, this dependence on God is not, as Satan tried to convince Adam and Eve, an indication that God is holding out on us. Our dependence on God is actually a sign of grace through no merit of our own. And sometimes even against our own wishes, we have been given time. We have been given an opportunity to know the love of God and respond to him. Think about it. What do the wild donkeys accomplish? What does the Leviathan do to make God love him? Or as Jesus says, consider the lilies, look at the birds. To be, simply to exist as one of God's creatures means we are given God's delight and attention. With creation comes God's unmerited favor, grace. The writers of the New Testament make plain that the God that we have come to know in Jesus, the one who commanded the wind and the waves, is the same God who covered the earth with the watery depths. 
the one who is responsible for the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, he is the same one who redeemed us. I want us to see that the grace of God, which is most clear in Jesus Christ, reaches back to the dawn of time and reaches forward to new creation. It is, in fact, more steadfast and more widespread, more wide-reaching than we can even imagine. As we read earlier in Colossians, all things have been created through him and for him. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, in Jesus Christ, all things, all things hold together. Yet we struggle to hold together the God who redeemed us with the world he created. We have, well, little attention span for all things that have come to be through Christ, that were made for Christ, and that were wondrously reconciled in him. 19th century German anthropologist and critic of Christianity, Ludwig Feuerbach, put the charge against us this way. See if you think this is fair. Nature, the world, has no value, no interest for Christians. The Christian thinks only of himself and the salvation of his soul. What an utter contrast to the scripture we read this morning, right? Who could say that the world has no interest to the writer of Psalm 104? And yet, I confess that I lack the psalmist capacity to meditate on God's works. I simply don't have time. I'm too focused on discharging my responsibility to exercise dominion over the earth to recall that I'm a creature within it whose purpose is God's delight. And I suspect that I am not alone here. This leaves us in danger, friends. It leaves us in danger of not only misunderstanding God, but misunderstanding ourselves. To believe that we humans are no more than machines, to be calibrated for maximal efficiency. To believe that we humans are simply raw material to be shaped into the best possible life. For me, these lies are being unraveled somewhere I did not expect, a farm. Several years ago now, our search, my husband and I's search for a quiet place for him to finish his dissertation and for a house for our growing family led us to 50 acres north of here in Granville County. We got a few cows, a flock of laying hens, and eventually some pigs and sheep. And, well, I will say the city girl is learning to see the world. I'm not trying to romanticize a farm. I look out here and know that many of you have spent hours with plants and animals that you would never want to repeat. But my experience has been a little different, a little strange, because I was first a follower of Jesus 
and then accidentally a farmer. And so with this in mind, we've had the opportunity to live in this intimate and surprising community of creation, to see our land and animals as something under God's care. And with that, we've had a new responsibility to learn about their God-given character and their limitations, and to even on the most frustrating days, see them as a reminder of God's attention, just lavished on this world, on chickens, pigs, and even stubborn cows. Most of us should not be farmers, and some days I don't think my husband and I should be either. But all of us, in whatever way we can, and whatever way the Lord would show us, should recognize ourselves as both created in the image of God and also set into this community of creation. I believe that in this particular moment in our time, this knowledge, this awareness is critical for knowing Jesus and making him known together. The church can embody a kind of creaturely existence that resists a world that otherwise regards us as resources to be exploited or machines for maximum productivity. So what does this creaturely existence look like? Well, it begins with acknowledging our dependence on God. We do this in part by acknowledging our own limitations and those of others. I might burst your bubble, some of you in here, but you can't do it all. You won't live forever. You can't be anything you want to be. But God is still good. He has given us these limitations, some of which are common to us as humans and others that are particular to us each one. The world in which we inhabit has limitations as well. Plants and land and animals are more than raw materials and resources at our disposal. So how do we live alongside other creatures to joyfully receive them as gifts from God and steward them well? And finally, creaturely existence means being caught up in joy. In this mutual rejoicing that the psalm describes, God rejoices in his works, and we rejoice in God forever, for all our lives. I want to leave you with one man's way of being caught up in joy. Gerard Manley Hopkins was a 19th century poet, devout Christian, who had a lifelong habit of reading scripture, the book of Revelation, alongside what he called the book of nature. And with the Psalms in mind, he wrote this poem. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. 
there lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and, ah, bright wings. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God, you have wondrously created us and even more wondrously redeemed us. Impress upon our doubting, bored, distracted, weary hearts that your grace reaches back farther than we imagine, that your kindness is deep and wide. And show us what it means to rejoice in you. Free us to rejoice as knowledge that we, with the knowledge that we are creatures known and sustained by the loving God we have met in Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.